She was known as having one of the best voices in radio, Anita Rush. She worked at a different radio station than I did. She was down the street at Q106, and I was at Star 100.7. Keep in mind, this was in the mid-90s when radio was at its height. It was the best job in the world. Not only was her voice smooth as silk, but she was as kind as anyone I've ever met. Well, our careers took different paths, and she got completely out of radio. Fast forward many years later, I ran into her. And she opened up to me about some very, very scary health issues. I had no idea. We talked and talked. And this is the point of Everybody Has Shit. It's sharing your story and not burying it. Here is Anita Rush's story. Everybody Has Shit. It's a safe place where we aren't afraid to talk about our shit. Only open-minded and honest talk. Kim Reed gets real about her autoimmune struggles and other health and wellness issues we all face on a day-to-day basis. So I have to tell you, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, thank you, Kim. We worked together in the 90s, and you were known as Anita Rush, like the best <laughs> radio name ever. <laughs> that was a good name, wasn't it's it? It's true. <laughs> I need a rush, especially for the 80s I and 90s. I need it was a perfect. rush. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but that, your real name is Jane Ahern. Yes. It and is. it's so hard for me to adjust that in my brain because in my brain, when I see, say Anita, I see you, I, I can't quite make the Jane work. Right. I get it. If you were called something else, if you were called Janice, I couldn't yeah. call you Janice. No, yeah, but you are Jane. Yes, I'm Jane. Okay, so but John Browner, who is our, our master magician behind the camera, I need you to close your eyes, and I need you to listen to her voice, because she has the best voice Aww. in radio. So <laughs> how, how did Star 100.7 go? Hmm. Now you're putting me on the spot. I know. I, I, I forgot I the line or two. Star 100.7. Or San Diego Star 100.7. Hmm. San Diego Star 100.7. I think I've lost it all. No, I you think haven't. I, I, you know, last you, time I was on the air was in 2005. And you I feel like I... <laughs> the best voice, the smoothest voice. So we worked together at probably the best radio station in the country, yeah, Star 100.7, where um, I was doing mornings, you were doing middays, and it was the most incredible experience for us because it was a happy time. It was a happy time. It was a magical time. The possibilities were endless. The, the people were so creative yeah. and learned so much you were just learning every day yes you're improving your skill and um working with the best in the business really and radio's changed and through the past year and a half I've been studying podcasts because I really didn't give them a whole lot of credibility and they allow you a chance to expand the thought radio nowadays you can't really do that so that's why this is so great and that's why our memories of days past is so great and to be able to bring this together now is incredible but you and I I don't we hadn't talked in many 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 years right and we found ourselves at a mutual friends barbecue and I was shocked to see you and we reconnected and we started talking and we started sharing and um I was sharing with you some of the stuff that I've been going through the past four years these mystery illnesses and autoimmune and um, just the depression that goes along mm-hmm. with that and the pain and trying to live. It's hard. And you shared with me what you have gone through. And mm-hmm. 
first of all, can you can you just enlighten us a little bit about the things that have gone on for you um, health wise in the past few years? Sure, sure. Um, in two thousand five, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer, and then in two thousand thirteen, I had a brain tumor. So there are different stories of both, and um, they so were. Let's go yeah, back to okay. two thousand five. Okay. In 2004, I was wrapping up my radio career. I was tired all the time. My kids were junior high age, and I just didn't feel good. Um, I didn't know whether it was just I was burnt out of radio. I had reached the end of my radio career or what other possibilities there were for me, but I, I knew that I just wanted to retire. Right. And then um, I told my boss that I was done, and he said, oh, just hang on a couple more months. Hang on, because he knew that the radio station was changing formats, right. and I was going to be out of a job anyway. Right. So, you know, it was just perfect timing for everything. Right. Um, so then I stopped in um, 2005, March of 2005, and I took my health seriously, and I wanted to get to the bottom of it because I was having terrible periods, and ter I was bleeding so heavily and feeling awful and getting anemic, and yeah. the doctors I went to said, oh, this is perimenopause. This is exactly what, you know, this is normal, and I just, it wasn't normal for me, and I knew that there was something else. So then I saw a wonderful nurse, nurse practitioner um, named um, Marcy Thornton, and she took me seriously. She took my symptoms seriously and said, no, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to figure out what this is. Yeah. So the first thing that she did was an ultrasound. And it came back abnormal. It was hyperplasia. But at that point, that was in September of 05. And at that point, I thought, oh, OK, it's hyperplasia. I looked it up on the internet. And da -da, maybe no big deal, whatever. So I kind of ignored it. And then a month later, she called me and she said, now, why haven't you followed up with a surgeon like I told you to? And I said, well, Marcy, I didn't think it was you know, that serious. And she said, no, you have to. And I said, oh, OK. And um, she put me in touch with an amazing uh, doctor, Dr. Colleen McNally. Okay. And um, she took me seriously, too, and she did a DNC. Okay. And I thought after that process, I was going to be fine and, you know, they would get rid of whatever the problem was, and I'd be healthy. Well, a couple of days after I had that um, procedure done, she called and said, uh, you have cancer, and it's high-grade, which means it's aggressive. And my life stopped. When you hear that C word, yeah. for whatever reason, you know, you, you just panic, and you yeah. think that's it. And yeah, really, it is kind of the end of your innocence, the end of the carefree days right. and the... Right. Um, when you get that kind of diagnosis. Um, then I saw a surgeon who gave me complete hysterectomy and uh, put me in instant menopause. Um, so I was diagnosed with stage one, and but aggressive. Okay. So I had, I had to make the choice by myself whether to have um, radiation. Right. I didn't need chemotherapy. Um, but there was some discussion about radiation, and um, uh, my surgeon said probably not because I think you might have more problems down the line if you have it, but he said, please go get a second opinion, mm -hmm. and I did, and um, 
they said the choice is yours. You can do it or not. So it's I, so hard it's when so it's left up to you. Hard. You want somebody to say, do this, do this, do this. Exactly. Boom. It takes this, the, the stress off of you. And especially when you're turning something down and yeah. additional treatment, you think, is this the biggest mistake of my life? Right. Is it going to come back? Right. And um, so, uh, you know, as scary as, as it was, and I, I just think about the people who do have to go through chemo and radiation and what I'm, what I went through, it wasn't, it was super easy compared to what um, other people have to go through. So I mean, that's I just all wanna, relative. Yeah. I would say that that yeah. wouldn't, wasn't super easy. So you chose to not do radiation. I chose not to do radiation. And so you had the hysterectomy. And I had the complete hysterectomy. And you're... you're and, and then I fell into a deep depression. Yes. And that lasted for six to eight months. And I don't know whether it was because I was in complete menopause. I right. didn't have the hormones. Yeah. Or was it the fear factor? Yeah. And oh, that I was, makes me so sad because the fear factor can be just paralyzing. It, and it was. Yeah. It was paralyzing for me for whatever reason. Maybe I have that personality, but my head will go into oh. a scary space and yeah. think about all the, the possibilities. Yeah. You know, I know so many so strong, such strong women who just, you know, yeah. soldier on and yeah. they can carry on. And I just fell apart. Yeah. Honestly, I fell apart because I was so scared. So you got into a depression, and then you mm -hmm. got yourself out. And then I got myself out. And then 2013? And then 2013 wow. came along, and um, it was the day before Thanksgiving. I was very excited. My family, was, my daughter was coming down, and, um, and other relatives. And I was busy you know, all week, just very busy and getting ready. And then that Wednesday, I took a nap. And when I woke up from the nap, my right hand didn't work. And I thought, well, that's odd. And, you know, why is my right hand working? And I looked at it, and my fingers were kind of moving by themselves. And I just, that was a strange symptom. But I just thought, okay, I'm tired, or I slept yeah. on it wrong, or something like that. And then I went downstairs, and I was cutting something, and I couldn't cut. And, you know, scary. I thought, maybe, you know, is this like a little man mini panic attack? What's going on here? I, I wasn't sure what it was. And then... There were some episodes where I couldn't talk, like I would think the words, but it, they weren't they weren't coming out of my mouth. And this was all on the day. This before? This was all or the day before. Okay. Yeah, and so I just I was got a little freaked out. Yeah. And when my husband came home, I said, "I think I'm having a stroke. I've been having these symptoms all day, and I think there's something seriously wrong." Right. And you know, he was calm. Yeah. My husband, he was calm and reassuring. He said, "No, it's probably just a panic attack. It's okay." Right. And I said, "No, I really think I should go to the hospital." So he took me to the hospital, and um, you know, and by then some of the symptoms eased up, and you know, they would just come and go. So. I went to the hospital, and then they did a... I didn't have the classic symptoms of a stroke mm -hmm. that they ask you to do, and so I passed those tests, but then they gave me a CAT scan. And after the CAT scan, sitting there in the bed, and the doctor comes in and closes the door and takes my hand, oh and God. then I knew at that point, okay, not good. Um, and he said, uh, I'm sorry to say, you have a brain tumor. And I thought, oh. The cancer's back. All these years later, it's metastasized. It's come back to my brain. And that was my first thought. Yeah. And 
for some reason, though, I was calm. I wasn't freaking out so much then. I, for so, it's a calm kind of took over, and I, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, so I had to wait until that night, and um, a wonderful surgeon, Dr. Qureshi, came in, and he said, I have good news and bad news for you. So I said, okay, well, tell me the bad news first. So yeah. he said, the bad news is that you have to stay in the hospital over Thanksgiving because we can't schedule thurs- uh, your surgery until Saturday. Okay, that's good bad but, news. Right, exactly. It was very good bad news. Yeah. And he said, the bad news is, uh, or the good news is, um, I'm pretty sure that your tumor is benign. And just to hear that word benign after hearing the C word, you know, years before. um, Because with cancer, you're always waiting for the other Uh, shoe to drop. I I just, uh, yeah. You're always waiting for that. The next, the scan, the just. Because it's, you have to, you have to do maintenance. Right. And the maintenance is tough up here. Exactly. So any woman who, or man who, you know, has to go through those scan days, those test days, I know what that's like. It's so scary. So you had the surgery. So I had the surgery, and they took it out. I had, it's called a meningioma, and they're usually on the lining of your brain. They're not in the brain. But mine was golf ball size, and it pressed down on the left side so it affected my right side and that's why my hand wouldn't work I guess it f- affected the speech too and mm-hmm. not being able to so those things that I had my hands and the the asf- I think it's called asphasia where you can't speak those are technically seizures right. that you're having because of the tumors pressing down on those whatever's up there <laughs> so you had the surgery so I had the symptoms surgery symptoms all went away mm-hmm. and that was that and that was that that's it. and that was it end of that story they did, he said I had to leave some cells there um, on the lining because it was too risky to, but he thought that by the time they grew back, I'd be old. I'd be, yeah, I'd be 20. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so he said it was slow growing mm-hmm. and I probably had it for a while and uh, just never. So just these freaky things that happen in your life. And so I want to go back to... Mm-hmm. 2004, 2005, and then the subsequent time after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of the point of this podcast is about sharing. And at that time, were you closed off? Were you secretive? Did you keep what was going on with you to yourself? Or yes, you did? Yes. Um, my friends knew, friends, family. Um, but as my doctor explained to me I said you know breast cancer support groups for breast cancer and I just didn't feel like there were support groups for gynecological cancers and he said that's because it's below the waist yeah and people don't want to talk about what's below there's still shame or whatever for a woman which is terrible you know why should we have the shame over the cancer that's below the waist I mean it makes it you didn't pick the spot right I mean the spot picked you exactly so the the and and like you, I kept my com- ailments one hundred percent a secret. Nobody knew at work. John Browner didn't know. My mm-hmm. radio partners didn't know. My boss, very few of my friends knew, and it's to the detriment of us that we don't share. I feel absolutely the, the more you share, and it's not like you're going around blabbing, but when you're emotionally sharing mm-hmm. your story with people. A whole new world opens up. Absolutely. And you find that everybody has something. Yes. 
maybe not cancer, maybe not autoimmune, but everybody has something that they hold deep and that's hurting them in their lives. And it's, and I don't know why there's such a reluctance. I, I can't explain it for me, why we're afraid or what's stopping us from actually sharing with people what's going on. Because I have been sharing more and more lately. I cannot tell you the stories that I'm getting back from young people mm-hmm. who are having mystery illnesses to everybody in between. And you know, there's something cathartic about it, but not just cathartic. There's actually tidbits of information that people might have that can help you. That would be help, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you had mentioned to me that it was in the New York Times that these doctors are presented with cases that other people, other doctors are unable to diagnose. Right, exactly. And just reading about these cases and seeing symptoms, I thought that maybe be helpful to you um, to be relatable with the autoimmune, these mystery things that people can't solve. So there's things that you may have gone through with Mm -hmm. your cancer that you can enlighten somebody else Mm -hmm. to. You can give them relief based on a simple conversation. I think our society, which is confusing, is we confuse being strong with not sharing. Like we think, okay, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to go through this all by myself. And I... I'm, I'm not going to share because either people don't want to hear it or I will be perceived as weak, that my body's breaking down. Um, I will be perceived as, oh, um, damaged goods. Mm-hmm. And it's so wrong. Every time that I have shared my story, a positive thing has come oh out of it. God. And that is so absolutely true. I was at a bridal shower over the weekend. And I was talking to the bride-to-be. She's 28, 29. And she was asking me what I was doing. And I mentioned the podcast and my autoimmune and my years and years and years of struggle and searching and being silent. Oh, my God. She's 28. She's had endometriosis. Mm -hmm. It has taken her three years to get it diagnosed. And the things and the symptoms that she's had and that she's going through, I just don't understand why it is that so many people go undiagnosed. Right. Right. You had trouble. Yep. What is that? Why can't we pinpoint things sooner? I think we just have to be listened to by our doctors. I think that's really important. And when things don't get resolved, just keep on being our own advocate and keep going back. And I I don't know. I, I feel very fortunate that when I finally was diagnosed that my doctors were all on board. Yeah. I've had, they're very responsive, and I feel so lucky to have had that. But it did take a while. My symptoms were dismissed. Oh, that's normal. And you know what? We have to be our own advocate. Mm-hmm. We cannot just rely on this one doctor as much as we want to right. to come up with the solutions mm-hmm. and the answers and the diagnosis and what pills you should take. It, it just can't be that way. Right. And you can't give up. Right. You would think that within the doctor community, there would be, you know, if, if one doctor can't really pinpoint a patient's problem, that there would be a communal a round table of uh, doctors. And I don't know if that happens or not, but you would think. Well, I've got this new integrative doctor that I've been going to. And so he's brilliant. 
he does meditation and he does acupuncture on me. So I've got a, a, a just like a concoction of things that I'm doing now that seem to be helping, you know, that I want to share what's going on with me, the things that I'm doing. I'm doing a nutritionist. Um, because the original doctor that I went to said that diet and autoimmune are not connected. That is not the belief of so many. Yeah. And it's, he believes that he's not trying to trick me. That's Mm -hmm. what he absolutely believes. I don't believe that anymore. So I've changed what I eat. I've changed how I approach, um, just all the information that's presented to me because it is up to me to continue to pursue what is wrong with me. I mean, my hair, for instance. I mean, hair is a weird thing. When you lose it, as I've lost it many, many times and had to wear wigs, um, you know, there's your identity is attached to your hair. Absolutely. Whether you're vain or not, it's irrelevant. Exactly. When you're missing, I mean, I would imagine that when you had surgery, Mm -hmm. you had to be shaved. shaved. Yes, exactly. So um, in my quest to have my hair regrow in between flare-ups, I've used something called Viviscal, which you may have seen on TV. They're these little pills. They're they're supplements. has helped tremendously. I use minoxidil. Um, you can see if you look closely, I have like little growth coming in up here, little fine baby hairs, because when I had a flare-up at the beginning of the summer, the first thing that happens is, you know, the hair comes out. So it's just a constant battle. It's There's no relaxing. So when I go see my doctor, I knock on wood before he says, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. Should I say I'm doing just okay because I don't want to jinx how I'm really doing right you know how does how does that happen so Mm -hmm. you know our our illnesses manifest in different ways Mm -hmm. however they start um we don't really know hey you got to move your bottom you're in the way (laughs) cat swatted me never been swatted by a cat before um so I I just I, I firmly firmly believe that we need to talk yes we need to share mm-hmm. with each other. We can trust each other right. on the level and the pain and the emotion mm-hmm. that is attached to these illnesses, whatever they may be. There is a value in sharing what we know. hundred percent. You're very wise. And it's, and it's so true. And it's so great that you are getting it out there. I mean, just the fact that you mentioned the, what you're using for your hair, I mean, a lot of women will follow up on that and remember that and write it down. And it's been a lifesaver yeah, for right. me. I mean, the first, I didn't think it was working. And mm-hmm. then my, my gynecologist said, cause I was wearing a hat cause I'd lost 70% of my hair. So she takes my hat off. She looks at my hairline and she says, well, you've got regrowth. I'm like, I do. So it just, it, it's, don't take your hair for granted. Right. That's all I can say <laughs> exactly. is if you have a full head of healthy hair, <laughs> right. Praise it every day because when it falls out, it really sucks. Well, it, remember on the radio they called me Big Hair. Oh yes, because I have a you lot. You have of, a lot a of lot hair, of a curly. Hair, that's right. right. And it's super curly, and it's a, you know the constant struggle yeah. to get. But after the operation, my bummer was that I always used to like to part my hair on the right, more right than I or left that, that I usually do. But now I have a big scar running down, so oh, I do? can't do it. But what a minor price to pay but I know that hair is our crowning glory and we just feel 
you know, that's a little better. Attractive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you got a bad hair right. day, man, you're not feeling so good. Right. But if exactly. it's looking good, you feel a little bit better. <laughs> exactly. It's just the way it is. For it doesn't matter how old you are. Right. So, but 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 people are reluctant to speak. So I'm just hoping that we can allow them to op- allow women to open up and men to open up about what they're going through, and the benefits are far going to outweigh whatever code of silence that we seem to adhere to and I think it gets back to society tells us oh you're you're not being strong if you talk about this or talk about that you should be stoic you should be pull yourself up by the bootstraps you should yes you know but no wrong 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 wrong. and I think there's strength in telling your story yes and being vulnerable yes and have people say Ew, uterine. Ew, why are you talking about the uterus? Well, the uterus is a baby castle. Fifty percent okay, yeah, of us really have not. one, so <laughs> we may as well There's chat no about it. Shame in no. gynecological cancers or talking about anything below the belt or autoimmune, losing your hair. I mean, oh. how traumatic. I just, and to be yeah. able to talk about it and talk about it so candidly with this this young girl that I spoke to over the weekend and she's telling me she's using Rogaine because of all of the things that she's gone through, endometriosis, and it mm-hmm. came out. I mean, I wouldn't have told anybody. When I would go to the grocery store to buy that crap, I mean, I would hide it under like apples <laughs> right. and crackers exactly. so nobody knew that yeah. I'm buying this stuff for me, that right. like it's for my husband. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I don't care anymore. Right. I don't care. Don't I would care rather have a conversation open up because of it. Right. And, and say, hey, say, hey what's that? this yeah. stuff, right. it works. It works. So yeah. use it yeah. if you're having problems. And let me just tell you a story <clears throat> about keeping it in. After my brain surgery, um, about a year later, I started getting terrible panic attacks. I mean, I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't breathe all day, and they were super scary. I've had, you know, occasional panic attacks in my life, but nothing, you know, big deal. But this was terrible. Yeah. So then I went to see a therapist, and I got in her office. I sat down, and I just, before she even knew me, or I, we even talked, I just burst out crying. And I cried for a, probably a good 10 minutes. And I got to tell you, after that, I felt great. Yeah. I just had to get it out. And if I had not let it build up, and if I had told my story, and or told people I was hurting, Along or if I told way. people I was scared. I know. Although, you know, I didn't have chemotherapy or radiation or anything, but still, I was scared. Yeah. And I thought it was going to, you know, when they say the C word, you just think you're going to die. Yeah. And um, so anyway, my point was with that story is just, I wish I had kind of let, it's like a big balloon. If you put too much air in it, it just, it's going to pop eventually. But if you let the air out, you feel better. It feels good to talk to you. No, it really does. When you and I met and hadn't seen each other for years and we shared each other's stories, it, the more you share it, number one, the easier it is to share it. And it feels good. It does. Because I learned something from you and, you know, the pain that you had gone through and, you know, who you, more about who you are as a person. And I just think that we have to do this. So if we can help women or people do this at an earlier stage, Mm -hmm. if they've got chronic pain of any kind to be your own advocate, Mm -hmm. there are answers out there. They may not be at that one doctor, but they may be over here. So if we keep the conversation flowing, 
I and, just think that's the most important thing. And don't take an answer, you know, if you still think you have a problem, go to a different doctor. Not your imagination. It's not your imagination. No. It's not in your head. No. You probably got that, Kim. Did your doctors, initial doctors, you know, dismiss things or say it's this or whatever? And Honestly, then... I never went to the doctor for probably the first two and a half years of this because oh. I thought it was menopause. Yeah. We Google searched and we're looking and... Um, that's was convinced what it was and I'm like okay this is horseshit because I know a lot of women in menopause and nobody is losing all their hair right. and going through the body pain that I was going I'm through so yeah badly. so I'm finally like okay god damn it mm -hmm. gotta go to a doctor right I gotta start over with my story mm -hmm. and then we gotta try to trace it and track it and see what's going on and I've got everything so yeah so it, it's these elusive things that are not a cut on the arm, right. but are just different symptoms mm -hmm. that you have to somehow express right. that somebody's going to consume and come up with an answer for you. Exactly. It just doesn't work like that, right. but you have to start somewhere. Exactly. So I'm glad yeah. that we're together. I know. And we re reconnected. We reconnected. And we reconnected <laughs> on the microphone. <laughs> Two DJs. <laughs> oh. You're the best. I love it. Oh. Anita Jane, you're the best. So thank, thank you, you for you are, sharing your story. Well, Kim, thank you for doing this because it's a terrible feeling to feel alone. And being feeling that feeling of being alone can make you sicker, which yeah. it did with me. Yep. It made me sicker. It made me have, you know, just ready to explode. Yeah. And I did. Internalizing yeah. is bad. Exactly. We know that. Right. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Kim. <laughs>